said it to me. Seeing Red, the pod, episode 19, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today is my co-host, Melody. Let's get started. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Um, how I am. I want to hear your hot news. Tell my me your news. fertastic news. My fertastic news. Fertastic, so I, yes. I decided my kid's been... Wanting a kitten, I don't know, pretty much since she was born. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure there were a few months when she was uh, younger where she thought she was a cat because she would, her first word was meow uh, when she was like six months old. And she also would headbutt you to show affection, which is what my cats do. So um, she's been waiting a very long time for her very own kitten. And I think I've been kind of against it, but I was like, man. She's seven. The world's fucking terrible. And yeah. we decided that it was uh, time to get a kitten. And uh, today we went and picked up the kitten from uh, the cat house here in Lincoln. And so there's much joy here. What is, uh, for people in Lincoln, what is a cat house? The cat house is a no-kill, uh, all-feline animal shelter. Uh, they do adoptions. They also have a pretty fantastic uh, TNR program, which is trap, neuter, and release um, for feral cat colonies. And um, there's a fantastic organization. I think this is actually the, over the years, this will be our third cat that we have adopted from them. I just lost my cat that I'd gotten from them 20 years ago before they even um, had like their own uh, like building, right? So, wow. so your child has had a cat. She just wanted yes, a new is, cat all so her own. When she was born, she had there was a fourteen-year-old cat at the house and a seven-year-old cat. And sometimes cats are less tolerant of the children that they knew life before. You know, I mean, my cats are always sweet to her, but this is her very own kitten. Mm. So, the highlight, the highlight, just so everyone knows, was the cat cuddled with me first, which was tragic, and Shelby informed me that I was not allowed to touch the cat tomorrow, but then the cat snuggled up on her and started purring really, really loudly, and Shelby joyfully exclaimed that it was uh, its first purring. Oh, that is the sweetest. We're very excited to have the kitten, and... Um, I don't know how excited the older cat's going to be, but we're going to make it through. What's going on at your house, Melody? Well, we got our first gardening done. We've actually got okras and we had our first tiny little tomato. And the Aww. dog is just absurd. Just always. She's always absurd. Right. <laughs> um, oh my goodness sakes. Well, I have... Okay, so later on in the podcast, we're going to talk to Jakeen Fox, who is this very left-flank Omaha activist. He's exceptionally cool. He's really, really insightful, and I'm interested to see what he might have to say to us. But 
I didn't know when I booked him to come on the pod that we were going to lose the left flank of the civil rights movement in the same week. And it feels, it just feels big. It feels big that we're bringing in a Nebraska left flank black activist to come talk to us on the heels of the loss of John Lewis, who is, you know, he is a civil rights hero. Uh, He was the left flank of Martin Luther King. He made sure, you know, things were, they were always trying to make sure he was under wraps and he was always trying to push him, push him to go further and try a little more uh, aggressive tactics. And I've been reading all these obituaries about him and I can't stop. I knew kind of the, a basic framework. I knew his phrase, good trouble, Mm -hmm. which really stems from this idea that it's okay to get in trouble if you're doing good. Yep. And like being nice isn't always good. So like sitting at lunch counters where people don't want you and it may even be illegal is not nice. It's not nice to, to sit at lunch counters you're not welcome at but it was a good thing to do. It was the right. right thing to do. It was the just thing to do. And that's, so I've just been thinking a lot about that. And I've been thinking about one of my own, uh, one of my dear friends, Courtney Lawton, who told a representative from a fascist organization, she gave her the middle finger and called her a neo-fascist Becky. And the entire state government, congressional government, they all came raining down upon her. But you know what? It's a good thing to flip off people who are doing harm to your education institution. Yep. That's actually a good thing to do. Um, and I've just been thinking about all the people we know that do uh, good trouble. And so I'm, I'm just excited Jakina's here to talk to us today. I would say that we need more good t- trouble in our state in our country because obviously not going to change without a whole lot of good and a whole lot of trouble. So I'm excited to hear about the work that he's doing. Hell yes. And I would encourage anybody listening, if you have been inspired by all of the biographies on John Lewis that have been going around, the New York Times did an excellent, um, they did an excellent piece. Um, But really any news organization would have one. I'm sure the Washington Post has a great one, but I haven't read it yet. If you are feeling inspired, just know you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. You just have to show up and say true things to those with authority. That's what it takes. You have to say true things to those with authority. And I went back and I found an old tweet and I <laughs> I found somebody... No, I didn't go back. That's not true. Somebody liked an old tweet. They must have been doing a, a search of Twitter of Ben Sass. But so they liked an old tweet of mine and I hadn't even thought about it since I wrote the tweet in 2017. But it was from Ben Sass who says to John Lewis, one of my heroes, please come to the inauguration. It isn't about the, a man. It's a celebration of a peaceful transfer of power. And I said to him, Unless the man is a fascist who has been disparaging you and your constituents, then it's about the man. Right. So 
I feel really inspired by everything I'm reading and I already knew about him, but I'm learning so much more and I would encourage everyone to do that. And without further ado, I think it's time to bring in Jakeen and come and talk. So we're really excited. We have Jakeen Fox today on the pod. Jakeen Fox is a community organizer and he's an activist. Following the murder of James Scurlock in Omaha, he's been the lead organizer on the Don Klein demonstrations. The Justice for James effort has activated him to do racial equality work differently than he has before. Jakeen, welcome to the pod. Welcome. Hello, Melody. Hello, Stephanie. How are you? Good. We're really glad you're here. Awesome. I'm glad to be here and glad to chat with you. So I want to ask you, so the first thing I want to ask you is, what does it mean to do social justice work differently than you have before? What were you doing before? What are you doing now? Sure. I think the approach to my social justice work and my racial equity work have changed in the past 40 days for a couple of reasons. One of those being when I first started getting into volunteer and uh, community advocacy work, it was through the nonprofit realm. So my volunteerism started with um, me being the president of the Urban League of Nebraska Young Professionals. And so that meant you had to do advocacy, not necessarily activism. And so through that lens, you think about how you work inside of systems and how you do that work to nudge gently rather than um, forcefully to get change to occur. And so during this time leading the Don Klein demonstrations, you actively ensure that you're working outside of the usual systems and processes to create change. So um, this allowed me to see a couple things, one of them being that both are necessary to get work done. Um, it's not an either or, but an, a yes and. And then two, I feel more comfortable in my disruption outside of those systems. So it allowed me to kind of utilize both of the tools that I know that I have. Um, again, like yelling outside of Don Klein's house and then going to talk with Matt Cousy, the city prosecutor in his office. And so learning how those different pieces work together to create that policy change is how I think of my work differently. I love that. I think everybody has been reading all of the content about John Lewis, who just passed away. And I think people are shaking all over the place. But, but I feel like that was his approach. He he got a lot of flack from Ben Sass, who, because he said he wasn't going to go to the inauguration and Ben Sass basically wanted him to ignore the fact that our president is a racist and John Lewis wasn't going to do that. And he didn't go to the inauguration, but at the same time we have Adrian Smith, when he's remembering John Lewis, he's remembering, he took him to Selma where he marched and was brutalized and, so he was working both paths at the same time. And I, I was thinking about, you've had a big week in the media and you made some comments that ruffled a lot of feathers and you always made, you have, I've followed you on social media for the last couple of years. You've always made comments that were big, that pushed people to think a little harder, but you're also showing up to the urban league. You're showing up on committees. You're going to the legislature. You're doing lobby days. Can you talk about 
that how you it, how you embody both of those spaces? Yeah, I think you know. First of all, rest in peace to John Lewis, and 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 really thank you for elevating like that thought and idea around like good trouble and what it meant to get into that good trouble and the necessary trouble. And I really, that's one of my favorite quotes from John Lewis. Um, and as you think back on his career, like how he was strategic and what it means to be strategic in the ways that we apply pressure and when it's appropriate to apply different tactics. And so that's been the most interesting part of doing both of those, um, kinds of work is because you see when I press this lever, this door opens up and, and without that lever, there is no handle here. So how do I get into that door and what creates that opening and that opportunity? And what does it mean to push publicly in a way that can't be dismissed or misunderstood? Um, and then what does it mean to utilize that opportunity that's been created to talk through those tough issues and how are the how many conversations are we missing because we aren't doing the public pressure piece and so i think that there's a real opportunity for folks to understand pressure points and what it means to be strategic within and without and trying those things again this was my first time doing a demonstration um organizing a demonstration in the way that we did it there and so that was a lot of learning on the job but it allowed me to appreciate the the risk that it takes for that kind of work to happen. It allows me to understand why it doesn't happen as often, but it also showed me how necessary that is and how we need people to be stepping into those lanes. And what's my opportunity as sometimes an insider to provide those resources to do that. So um, it strengthened my understanding of how this all works together. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like I'm able to embody that because one, I know it's necessary. So someone has to do it, but two, like it allows you to practice the skills that you think that you had. What does it mean to be persuasive in this mm -hmm. way and to practice those skills and to see them applied? Um, and that was a real, the challenge of that was appealing to me. So um, it's kind of like an ego thing to try and work both of those, but also because there's a necessity. What do you mean by demonstrations? Like what kind of demonstrations have you been doing in Omaha? So the the main, and I say demonstration just as a, as kind of like semantics, others would call this a protest. Um, the demonstration in front of Don Klein's house was just what usually a protest would be. But um, we wanted to utilize that language as just a piece of our, uh, just a tool out of our toolkit to ensure that people couldn't dismiss what was happening. Um, and so we stood there for 36 days um, because that number 36 has a significance to the amount of time it took Don Klein to um, decline to press charges. So we wanted to claim that victory um, with that demonstration specifically, a march up and down his, um, his gated community. And on that last day, being able to go inside and come up right up to his house. Um, in my work with what is our newly founded Academy of Equity, which is just a group of five organizers that have come together to teach um, specific skill sets of organizing, we've been able to work with what youth can do, which is the OPS students um, rally and demonstration. And we also held a, a, a string vigil for Elijah McClain. So 
you wrote an article in the reader, which by the way, if people have not been paying attention to the reader, they've been posting, they've been uh, publishing some really interesting stuff from organizers in Omaha. So I'd recommend people grab a copy or look online. Uh, but you talked about uh, tapping in, tapping out. There's nothing in the middle. Can you read a quote from your article and explain more about what you meant? Sure. You are experiencing the reality of collective imagining and its ability to tilt the scales towards justice. You have been organized. You have been tapped. Um, this was a really interesting piece to write because I had anticipated writing something more academic and it came out in a little bit of verse and kind of feeling a little bit more poetic than I thought I was and abstract. But um, in the article, I talk about the tapping in and what does it mean to grasp like the ley line or that energy that is surging between people because of the social unrest we are experiencing. So what does it mean to like grasp the spirit that's <laughs> circulating in America that we've seen by the rise of the protests that sparked from George Floyd's death. Um, and, and to consider that, to hold on to it and to tap into what it means to apply that change in our society that, that thousands are asking for. So that's what I mean in the tapping out, like to grasp what's real was being communicated throughout our country and to apply that in the way that we are living our lives. So to hold on to that idea and move it forward because that's where the energy is going. That's the tapping in. And to do anything else would be tapping out, which we know means not answering the call that I think organizing has sent out. That's really powerful. So I wanted to ask you you have done organizing in Omaha and organizing in the legislature. You've been in both spaces. What do you think is, if someone is new to the work, you've also done the work out in the streets. You've done it in business suits, right? And so there's all these new people and they're all thinking like, well, I'm just one person. What's my entry point? How do I even get started in this work? What kind of wisdom would you pass along to someone just getting started and trying to find their way? Yeah, I really appreciate that question because I think it's so relevant to today because we are seeing so many people tap in in a way that they have not been able to before. And so my thought and what I feel my obligation is as an organizer is to help people understand that there is a place in movement for everyone. And one of the quotes I said from our organizer lab that we held today um, was that organizing work is life work. The thing you do living your life is the same thing you can do in this movement work. We have cooks because they love to cook. So there are activist cooks. We have people that do tech because that's what they do. And you can give from your place of abundance, which allows you to keep giving and keep giving because you're giving from a place that you've created that and curated that space inside of yourself. So you're not giving from an empty cup. So it's important that people understand that you can place yourself 
wherever that looks like in the movement for you, because the movement is what it means to live our life as we would if there wasn't oppression. The movement is the rebellion is to live and and to and to press and push against those systems in a way that gives you life as opposed to takes it. And so it's important for people to understand like giving from your place of power, from your place of abundance allows you to move so much more freely in movement work because it's what you organically do and what you should be doing. Um, if you're not a frontline responder, if you're not someone that needs to, that goes to a protest organically, what makes you think you have to do that in the movement? I think that's in a part of elitism that we've brought into organizing work. And we need to kind of like decentralize that power because it allows people to really live in the spaces that they're good at and what they want to do. And you can do what you want to do in the movement work. I, I love that answer. Literally yesterday, a magic woman just stopped by my house for no reason and brought me a cake <laughs> because she just, the work is hard. And that is how she is supporting some of the work that I'm doing. And it really, that's the kind of stuff that keeps people going. I love that when you said, if you're a cook, be an activist cook. I love that. Stephanie, yeah. you're a gardener and you're definitely an activist gardener. <laughs> you started a whole nonprofit of community gardens. So I, I just started. Oh, you didn't I just start it? on the board. Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I do have a question. Um, can you tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about the Academy of Equity? I'm really interested in this because you keep on hitting on, on things that are very near and dear to me and the work that I've done, which is playing on people's strengths so they don't, you know, it, it's easier to do that uh, for people. And I think that um, it's more genuine. And then also that it's going to take I mean, I always say it's going to take lots of different people doing lots of different things. And I really appreciate how you respect the spaces that people can and want to work in and not just saying this is the only space that we can make progress in when it really needs to be bigger than that. And so I just want to see how those things might play into the, the work you're doing there. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And um, so the Academy of Equity just launched today. We had an 11 to five o'clock um workshop um with five different foundational organizing lessons that people can take away and this was born out of the justice for james omaha initiative we um we all showed up at 6 a.m on june 4th and throughout those 36 days we built a real camaraderie um through like the trainings that we wanted to give through the ability to like recognize people as leaders in that movement work, knowing that we're building more and more leaders. And we decided like, what, as people started coming to us to ask about how to put on their different demonstrations and rallies, we thought about like, what, how, what, what it mean to be responsive in this moment and create something that people could take away for free, that they can feel that they've been activated into this work and it decreases the barrier of entry to civic engagement. And that's the really the point of the Academy of Equity is how can we bring that bar down so low that people can step into this work feeling comfortable and safe to do it. And so that we can start this movement and build a real ecosystem around organizing and public pressure 
if people feel supported to have all those resources taken care of, they can just say, I want to show up here and I want to bring my people and we can make this happen. And we can see those demonstrations pop up and sustain in so many different parts of the city that it can no longer be ignored. And so now we have things all the way from West Omaha to downtown. And that's what it should look like because we can activate more and more people if we make sure the bar to entry is low. And so we've created trainings and resource lists and we spend time in lab with people with their ideas and we try to make those blossom. So it's a real community effort to, to create sustained action throughout the city. So I wanted to bring up, there was a few years ago, I went to a bill hearing in the legislature. I'm gonna tell a little story and then I'm gonna come back around to you. But there was a bill hearing in the legislature, um, a state senator from Bellevue wanted guns in bars. And he said, because, you know, people at Applebee's are afraid of ISIS coming. You know, like this is actually what he said. And, and the hearing was over. Um, and there was really no media around it. And a really bad bill was moving forward. And Senator Ernie Chambers was going to be the number one fighter on that bill. And it was going to deregulate all gun laws across the state at a city level. And this salacious quote of Ernie Chambers saying, the police is my ISIS, came out, which was in response to an absurd comment about ISIS being in Applebee's in Nebraska. But of course, that part wasn't in the media. And it turned into this big brouhaha. And I feel like something similar happened to you this week. And you made a comment that was taken out of a broader context. And I wanted to know if you wanted to talk about that. Um, and so to be honest, I've left this up to interpretation because one, I truly believe that the conclusion that someone draws says more about them than me in the situation. And so like the way that this has been uh, utilizing the media to try to vilify me has been interesting because it's allowed for so many more conversations than would have happened if this was never brought into the uh, into the social like uh, psyche. So I appreciate um, Mean Jean for for highlighting this because it allowed us to have different conversations in community and um, and outside of that community. So. Um, I think I clarified it enough in my Facebook statement. Um, I think it's up, it's really the onus needs to be on the systems of power because if a person feels like they need the arm, to arm themselves against you um, because they're wearing a certain skin, what's the opportunity to say, damn, I might need to think about this. Like, this is serious. Like, someone feels this way. How did it get to this point? As opposed to, what else has been happening? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I am a founder of Nebraskans Against Gun Violence. And of course, we never think that firearms are the way to solve problems. But I, I have to say, when you're looking at the broader context, when you have one mass shooter who is a black activist, appears maybe he just, you know, cracked um, and murdered police, 
and was murdered by police. When you flip that narrative and you talk about a white kid in the South who sat in a Bible study for an hour and then murdered everybody but one person and said, I want you to tell everybody about this. He was taken to Burger King by police because he was hungry and he's still alive and sitting in jail. And so I think there is a conversation for how, for those who make bad choices in our society, how we respond as a community to those individuals. And it's quite different when we look at those two cases. And I think it's important to, you know, highlight that you were able to find that difference. It's not like this information is being withheld from anyone. Again, it's how we choose to interact with that information. And I think, again, it says so much about the people that are willing to do their own introspection, as opposed to asking me to take their hand and lead them all the way to the water. And so um, I appreciate the way that, you know, even though I didn't mean to sensationalize this, like literally, I tell him to rest in power on every anniversary of his death. And most of the people that um, I'm able to recognize because the names are so many that have been killed by police officers. And so that's not an unusual practice for me, but the way that they wanted to weaponize it for their purposes um, was interesting to say the least, but allowed to have this greater conversation about if people are viewing me as a leader in this movement work, and I do say something that is upsetting or, or con- controversial. What does that mean for your commitment to the work? Whether I'm the best leader or not, are you still going to do racial equity work because that's the right thing to do? And so how often the narratives are applied to black leaders to stop actual movement work is the thing that we need to investigate during this time because people need to be committed no matter if I'm the best leader or a fraud. I have to tell you, I was told by a policymaker to my face that because Stephanie wasn't nice enough on social media, that they may not do the work we were talking about. With or without me, they just may not do the work at all. It's scary. That's scary. It's scary. And as people get more and more entrenched in this work, they become less and less representative of the people that they're supposed to be doing this work for. And so what's our opportunity to call that into question every time? Because it's too normal to put air quotes on it now. Um, And the opposite is the exceptional. And we need, it's, it's working backwards. And so we really need to do our job to set that straight. And right. That's exactly right. It's, we don't have to be nice to deserve justice. Yeah, those no, there's no prerequisite. And it's our humanity and it's our decency. So um, again, like, let's do our job. If we need to do a sensational tweet to have that conversation, you know, I'm good for it. So I have two things left for you. One, I want to know what you're reading these days. And two, I would like you to close out this interview with a quote from John Lewis, who recently 
passed away, if you would be willing to do that. Oh, sure. I can definitely read that quote. Um, what I'm reading right now over again is um, the undercommons, uh, the Black Study and Fugitive Planning by Fred Moten and Stefano Harney. Harney, excuse me. Um, they there is a quote I used from them in um, in my reader article that I kind of live my organizer life by. So please read that. That quote is at the very beginning of the article and has really um, informed how I do organizing work. Um, then this John Lewis quote is one of the last things he said as a policymaker. Um, and this was regarding the impeachment of Donald Trump. Sure. When you see something that is not right, not just, not fair, you have a moral obligation to say something, to do something. Our children and their children will ask us, what did you do? What did you say? For some, this quote may be hard, but we have a mission and a mandate to be on the right side of history. That's awesome. right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the pod today. Oh. I have one question. When you're not uh, in, entrenched in the activism that you're doing, is there something you like to do for fun or like gardening? Do you have any pets? <laughs> I don't take care of living things, pets, plants, or men. Um, <laughs> I do, um, in my spare time, I am a reality TV junkie. I will watch almost any reality TV show, um, especially if there is some kind of like dating challenge involved. Um, and so I'm watching the next, uh, the newest season of Dating Around on Netflix where they do like blind dates for, for guys. So yeah, it's been great. Wonderful. It was so nice well, having you on. Thank you for coming on the pod. We really appreciate it. And yeah. you know, if you have something going on, come back. Definitely. I appreciate your time, Melody and Stephanie and Scott. I appreciate the, the curiosity. So thank you for your time tonight. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com. 